Yeah. Hey, Flatirons, happy Easter. You good? I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, I'm hopped up on Five Iron Energy, uh, Sour Patch Kids, and Jesus right now. It's all good. Um, uh, hey, uh, hey, so all week long, all of our uh, campuses, we've had bands rehearsing and extra volunteers for kids' ministry and parking lots and stuff like that. Would you just take a second and just, just give it up for all the, all the work that's gone into to making this week impossible? Yeah, hey, and, and on your way out, so, uh, so we have very low standards for our parking lot volunteers. Some of them on work release, they've killed before. Be nice, that's all I'm saying. No, uh, no. Hey, before we jump into uh, to, to this Easter thing, I want to tell you, uh, so, so earlier we were talking about we want to be the kind of church that, that we want to make a difference on, on, on people's lives spiritually, but also on the practical everyday life, like giving cars away and stuff like that, meeting people where they, where they really are. I want to be a part of a church like that. Here's what I want to do while we have our, our, our largest crowd of the whole year. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I, Sour Patch Kid, right there. All right, so... Uh, what I want to do is I want to take a time out and show you a video promoting what the series we're going we're gonna to kick off next week. It's that little red gummy bear thing, you know, it's like, uh, and so I, we just got back from flying around the world and visiting all of our partners. Uh, God's doing some amazing things in the world and flat we get to join him. So take a look at this. Hey, Flatirons, I'm really excited that next week we're going to kick off a brand new series called What in the World is God Doing? We're going to get on airplanes and we're going to visit as many of our partners as possible uh, to see what God is already doing and seeing how as we as individuals and linking arms as a church are making a difference with God in the world. We're going to start in Queens, New York. We're going to cover Afghanistan. Then we're going to go to Uganda and Musana. And then we're going to get on an airplane and go to South Sudan and see what God's doing in life in abundance. From there, we're going to go to Edinburgh, Scotland, and we're going to join up with Globoscope to find out what God is doing around the world in university campuses. From there, our final stop is going to be visiting two of our partners that are hard at work down in Mexico City. The question is, what in the world is God doing? Come to find out, God's doing a lot. I hope you'll join us starting next weekend. Boot barn goes to Scotland. It's great, you know. Some of you stopped, stopped listening as soon as I, you saw me in a kilt. Some of you down here wish I still had that kilt on, right? And I get it. Because when I wear a kilt, I wear it the right way. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah, some of you don't know what that means. That's, I, that's okay. All right. Um, hey, let's jump into this. Uh, so, yeah, we're celebrating Easter this week. So the, the band, uh, the song of the band just played at all, at all, again, all of our campuses. It's called True Colors. I heard this song, it's a song by a guy named Zed, uh, amazing composer. But anyway, I was listening to my office a few weeks ago, and I thought, that, that really nails it, is that everything I've been holding on to got run over by the truth. And that's just true, isn't it? Is that you hold a lot of beliefs and things like that, and then your life runs into this thing called reality, and then you find out if, you're, if, you're, if your faith stands up. And that's what we've been looking at over the last several weeks in here, is what happens to your faith when your life falls apart? What happens to your belief system? I believe this to be true about God, whatever that is. And then life happens and then your faith just kind of, kind of you know, what, what happens to it, right? And, and we've, we've said this before is that hard times don't just build character, they actually reveal the character. And you can say it a bunch of different ways. You can say, you know, when your life gets really hard or, or painful, you find out what you're really made of or the way we've been saying around here, your true colors, they, they come shining through, right? So, so what happens to your faith 
when your life falls apart. And I know we have a lot of people from different backgrounds. We, we have people that, that grew up in church, never been to church. We have Catholics, we have Protestants. We have people from other church staffs here. I see you. We don't tattle. Welcome. We're, we're, we're glad that you're here. So we, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. And so when I, you hear the word faith, a lot of us go, what do you mean by that? And so let me define the word faith so we're all kind of working off the same definition, at least for today. Whenever you hear me say the word faith, here's what I mean. I'm just talking about the level of confidence that you have. It might be a lot, it might not be much at all. And, the, and what we're talking about here when it comes to faith is your, your level of confidence that you believe Jesus is who he claimed to be. He said he was God in the flesh. He said he was the son of God. And you either believe that a lot or hardly at all or somewhere in between. So that's faith. The other part of faith is this, is that you have some level of confidence that if God makes a promise to you, he will or will not keep it. Right? So this is who Jesus is, and this is my confidence level about how much I think he'll actually take care of me like he promised. You have a lot or a little. And, and how much faith you have is actually demonstrated by the choices you make in your life all, all day long. It's not just your belief system and what church you go to. is, is every choice you make is based on you know, what you actually believe or have confidence in will take care of you and get you to where you want to go in life. If you have a lot of faith, right, if you believe it, you'll hang on tight. And, and here's the other thing is if, if you believe something for a while and then it's, it doesn't help, here's what's going to happen. And this is why some of you are here today. You'll go shopping for a new faith system. That would be smart. So here, here's what I'm, what I'm talking about this weekend. It's Easter. And it's kind of a big deal, you know, at least in church world. So it goes like this, all right. Um, so for the next few minutes, I want you to actually take a good look at what you actually believe. Not what you say you believe or what you can spout out and, you know, if somebody says, what do you believe? And you just go through the whole thing that you've memorized since you were a little kid. No, what do you actually believe? What do you have confidence in that will actually get you to where you need to be in life? And when your life gets really, really hard, will actually take care of you. And, and if you look at your faith system that you currently have, ho hopefully by the end of the, this time is up, you'll either say, I want to hold on tighter or I would let go and go find a better win. I would, that's what I would do. So what, what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna give you like three truths that Jesus said are true. Not what I think is true or Flatterns official stance on that. Jesus said this is true about God, this is true about you, and this is true about what he promises to do in your life if you'll put some level of faith and confidence in him. How much? That's between you and God. But if you'll just lean part of your life against, against Jesus, he says, this is who God is, this is who you are and who you are to God, and this is what I promise to do in your life. Jesus said what I'm about to describe to you, he called it good news, but you'll have to make up your mind for yourself. It might be really, really good for you. It may be the thing you've been waiting for all your life. It may, look at it, going, we say this around here a lot. It's like there's two deals on the table. I'm gonna present to you what Jesus says is his deal and offer to you, and then you, if you don't like it, then go find another deal. It's okay. Find something that will hold you together, but you'll have to decide. Okay, so I'm going to go pretty quick. I'm going to give you three truths, and then I'm going to give you three object lessons, okay? Because I'm a visual person, and I have to see it or feel it or experience for it to go, and go from one side of my brain to the other. Jesus loved to, to teach in object lessons and parables and stuff like that. So I'm going to give you a truth, then I'm going to give you an object lesson, and do your best to take something out of here, okay? So here's truth number one, and you didn't even have to come to church because you already knew this first truth. It goes like this. Nobody's perfect. Oh, sensei, you studied. I know. All right, right? So, so nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We, no, everybody's made mistakes. And you know what? That sounds like a good thing. Well, nobody's perfect. We're all kind of the same, all right? And it is, it is good news that nobody's perfect if God grades on the curve. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know, you grew up in that, that where like, like, you know, like, so if you had 50 people in the class, 10 got A's, 10 got B's, 10 got C's, 10 got D's, and, and you know, 10 went to hell. That, that, that's what I'm talking about, okay? So at least on the God grade curve. So, so if, you know, if, if God grades on the curve, most of you are sitting here going, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because let's be honest. I mean, you've done some stupid stuff. I have. Me too. I have the t-shirt, right? You've done some crazy things. You have some things that you wish you hadn't done. But then you also go to, but at least I haven't done this like some people have, and they fill in the blank. You know, at least I, I haven't, let's just go to the news. At least I've never, like, shot up a school. Those people. Or at least I, I'm not a terrorist. Or at least I'm, I'm not a racist. Or at least I'm not a, a, a Nazi. So, you know, compared to some people, I, I'm not nearly as bad as some of them. I mean, I'm no Mother Teresa. I'm no Billy Graham. I'm certainly not Pastor Jim. I'm just not that good. But still, <laughs> try to slip that in there. Right, right, right. right. But, but you know you. you. You know your heart. You know what goes on inside your head. And you know you're not a horrible person. Compared to most people in the world, right? I mean, and the other thing is, let's be honest, along the way, it's not just bad stuff you've done. You have some good stuff, and karma's got to count for something, right? It's got to come back into balance. You've done something good enough to offset prom, remember, right, right? Or, or maybe, you know, you're in your 40s and you've worked really, really hard, and maybe that'll make up for your 20s. In your 30s, you know, it was a rough, it was a rough span, right, right? Or, or you know, you're, you're doing your best to, to get over that first marriage. You're going to try to pretend like it didn't even happen. And maybe if you do enough in this marriage, maybe you'll make up for it. This is how we all, well, all operate. So, you know, on, on, the, on, the, on the great, you know, the, the bell curve of, of human behavior, you would give yourself at least a C plus, which is passing, right? At least compared to most people in the world. So most of them going, nobody's perfect, so I'm okay compared to most people. Here's the problem with that is that God never compares you to other people. God never looks and goes, well, at least you're not Hitler. Or at least, you know, you're not that. Or at least you're not as bad as, you know, some of those people that do stuff like that. God never compares you to another person. He compares you to him, himself. And what he says is true. He says, this is what is right. This is what's true. I created this world. This is how it works best. Do that, and it's all good. But you know what we do? We look back at God and go, uh, gotcha, no. You know, it's not even consciously. It's like God says this is a, a better way to run your life, your marriage, your sexuality, all that kind of stuff. And you go, so if I follow you and trust you, you say I'll have an abundant life. God says, yes, thank you. I have faith in me. I have confidence that I know what I need and I know what I want and I know how to do something better. And that, by definition, is the, is, is the definition of sin. sin. Sin is this church word that gets tossed around. People go, uh, what, what are you even talking about when, you, when you're talking about sin? Here's what I mean when I talk about sin. God says something's true and I said I'm going to do something else. That's it. God says that is right, that is true. That lines up with who he says is, 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 is what he's about. And I went, thank you, no, I'm gonna do something else. L- last week, Ben, our, our teaching pastor, and anytime you miss a week or you wanna kinda catch up on something, all you have to do is get on our website and, and, and every, every message is on there. You, you can catch up. And I, I certainly recommend going back to last week. It's the best talk I think Ben has ever, ever given. But he gave this great picture of sin. And he pictured like, like uh, if you're shooting archery or something like that, a bullseye and make the bullseye like God's perfect plan for your life. And you took your shot. You took your shot, so I'm going to aim my marriage at it, I'm going to aim my, my, my mind at it, I'm going to aim my habits at it, I'm going to aim my parenting at it, my, my addictions, whatever. I'm going to aim it at the bullseye, and I fell short. I took my life, and, and I aimed it at something, and I either said, God, no, I'm going to aim at that, or I did my best to hit what God says is right and true, and I, and I didn't do it very well. I fell, I, I fell way, way, way short. I took my shot. And it's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because you're a bad person. 
You got to hear that, all right? We always go like sin is like, like me, like lying and stealing and stuff like that. No, sin is who we are. And what we do is just an overflow of that. Like, like parents, did you have to teach your kids how to sin? No, they were evil from two on, right? Right? They, you didn't have to, right? they just look at me and go, no. And then they have little horns coming out of their head. It's like, ah, you're all right. They've just, you didn't have to teach, we didn't have to, it's who we are. And when who we are, it just, it just comes out of us. Now, now here's, okay, so most of us can hang with that, at least on a theoretical basis. Even if you don't believe in God, we took our shot at what we think we ought to do right in our life, and none of us have lived up to our own standards, right? So, so at least on a theoretical basis, you look at it and go, oh, you know, I, I, I get it, all right? But again, you go back to the bell curve. It's like, but, but at least, I, I mean, I, I was off, but I wasn't as far off as her. And my marriage is not as jacked up as theirs, and at least I'm addicted to cool things or instead of those, those, those gross things, all right? And you know, that, again, that's good news, but life is not a game of darts or Winter Olympics curling. I don't get it at all, all right? But anyway, right? And so it doesn't matter if you get the bullseye. All you have to do is get closer than other people. And life's not like that. So again, nobody's perfect, you're right. We're all in the same predicament. See, see Paul takes, so I, I'm gonna talk a lot about this guy named Paul. Paul wrote a big chunk of the Bible after he became a follower of Jesus. Before he became a follower of Jesus, he actually hated Jesus. He did everything he could to persecute Jesus and all of his followers. And he thought he was actually doing God a favor by getting rid of all this, this crazy Christian stuff. And then he literally bumped into Jesus. Jesus changed his life. And, and he began to write down the things that Jesus had taught him. And, and so Paul just says some things that just absolutely, absolutely clarify this whole, um, we're all in the same like me too category. Paul says, here's our problem. His problem and Jim's problem and all, all of our problems. He says this about, about all those sins. He says, for, there's no distinction. There's no difference. There's no bell curve. There's not a, here's the really bad sins and here's the sins, they're not too bad. And here's a special level of hell sins or something like that. And these, it's just, it doesn't even really, really matter. No, there is no bell curve. There is no distinction. And here's, here's what he means. For, what's the next? For what? All. And I did a word study on the Greek word all and it literally translates all. I study for you. This is what you paid me for, right? So, so it says, all have sinned. What do you mean? We all took our shot and none of us hit it. All of us. We, we did our best and we fall short of the glory or the bullseye of God. So that leaves us, you know, two deals on the table, two categories of people. I hit the bullseye perfectly every time of every day of my life and then the rest of us. Nobody's, nobody's perfect, Right? And well, that makes me feel good. At least I'm not alone, all right? Here's the problem with that. Here's, here, here's another thing Paul writes. He says, so, so if you miss the bullseye, or when you miss the bullseye, he says this, the wage of that, for the wage of, of sin, and you know what wage is, right? It's what you earned. If you, if you work at a grocery store, if you're an engineer, if you're a school teacher, whatever, at the end of the pay period, you go up and go, give me what I earned. Oh, okay. So if you miss the mark, this is what God says. Well, here's what you earned. The wage of sin is death. And I'll be really, really clear, right? It doesn't mean if you sin against God, you drop dead on the spot. Now, we'd all be dead, right? But it does mean this, is that, that when, you, when you say, God, I'm going to do something different than you, you get cut off. And we all know what that feels like, Right? There was a time when God was really close in your life and then things went crazy and, and just life got out of control and now you look around and go, where is he? I feel like I'm just like, wait, wait, cut off. So that's what I have, I earned. But then the rest of that verse goes, but the gift, and a gift is not a wage. You don't earn a gift. On your birthday, they don't go, you earned this. No, you just got born. It's like, oh, but I, I, I came out of there on my own. No, you didn't. You received life, all right? So it's like, it's a gift. 
The gift of God is eternal life. That's the opposite of death. Connection back to God. How does it happen? Through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wage of sin is what? Death means separated from God. Now which sins cut you off from God? All. All. And some of us are going, I don't want that to be true. I know. But basically it says we're all in the same boat. The same kind of boat anyway. What do you mean? Your boat has a big three-foot hole in it and you're going down fast. Mine has a thousand little holes and I'm going down slow. But you know what we're both doing? Going down. We're drowning. All right? Object lesson time. Okay? So I taught this a few years ago and I, I liked it, so I'm going to do it again. All right? So, so imagine I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of arrogant right there, wasn't I? So, so imagine I'm standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and I lean way, way, way out over it. All right? And if, if I fall, it's a mile down. It's like roadrunner. All right, just look like that, okay? Here's the question, kids. All right, how many links of the chain need to break before I fall? One. I had a guy yell out, five. <laughs> I think he had five before he came to church. But I'm not judging. Anyway, <laughs> so five is, it's true, you'll fall. All right, so, so five, or one, whatever that is. So, so again, if, if, let's say that my, my friend, he's hanging by a chain over the same Grand Canyon, and I break one and he breaks five. Who hits harder? There is no difference. There's no distinction. Okay, so let's, let's assign these two things. So I broke the lying one, and he broke the murder one. Who has a bigger problem? There's no distinction. What if I break one, he breaks 10? We both, we both fall. You get it? There's no difference. So do you remember when you were a kid? And some of you still do this. I still do this as an adult. Do you remember you, you play this game called Would You Rather? It's horrible, but you'll play it before you go to bed tonight, all right? So, 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 so let's just go. So when you're in middle school, this is the ultimate game, all right? Because it just gets gross, all right? So, so you, would, you would get your buddies together, and you'd, you'd present two things to them. You know what I'm talking about, right? right? So you go like, would you rather do this or do that? And you have to choose. And you just be as gross as you possibly could. So like, so like I, would, I would say something like this. So, um, so would you rather like kiss grandma? And not just like Merry Christmas. No, no, no. I mean like. Uh, you know, like second base kiss, right? That, your grandma, okay? Would you rather do that? Or, and then you just gotta get really, really disgusting or kiss your dog's butt. Some, something like that. <laughs> and then you go to your buddy and you go, I'm not gonna do either. Those are gross. You have to choose. And everybody, you have to choose. You go, ah, oh, all right. I would, I don't know. I'd, I'd kiss my dog's butt, I guess. And then all your buddies go, you like dog butts. So you know, that's what we do. Every dude in this room has played that game, and most of the girls, because girls, when you have like girls' parties, you're grosser than guys could ever be. <laughs> and that's true, okay? So, so, would you rather, so here's my point. Would you rather go to hell for being a liar or murder? We'd always say liar, of course, right? And would you rather be a, go to hell for being a selfish person, and the Bible says a lot about that, or plowing your car because you had too much to drink into a family and taking them out? Which would you rather go to hell for? And we always go, okay, I'd rather just be a selfish, greedy person. I'd just be a, a liar because that way my sin doesn't really affect anybody. If I'm going to go to hell, it's just me. It doesn't affect anybody else. Did you see the key phrase there is, I'm going to hell. I'm falling. And let's be honest, you are just absolutely lying to yourself if you think that your sin is not affecting somebody and hurting somebody. Every sin hurts somebody. There's no difference in this life, it feels like one is more you know, impactful than others, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we're both in the same boat, hanging off the Grand Canyon, over the Grand Canyon, with a chain, and it's going to break. And now what would we do? We have the same problem. 
Now, if the wage of sin is, is death, okay, all right, let, let's look at the, the, the second truth I want to look at t- today, all right, and it's in the second half of that verse. So go back. So, this is, so Paul writes this, for there's no distinction, there's no difference, there's no grading, you know, bell curve. All have sinned. We all took our shot. We've all fall short of the bullseye of God, and we're, we're cut off, okay? Now, here's the rest of the verse. And, it's not over, and we are justified. Justified means reconnected. The way I remember the word justified is it's just a... It's just as if I'd never sinned. It's, I'm back in that category, all right? So I'm justified. I'm reconnected by how? By his grace, by his forgiveness. And how do I get it? It is a what? It's a gift. It's not, I can't earn it. I got it through the redemption, okay? Now, redemption is a church word, and you, you don't think about this, but you do it every day all week long. When you went to the store this week, you redeemed something, and here's what I mean by that. I would like to take that food, I'd like to pick that food up and take it home, and they say, well, you need to redeem something, like money. So you lay down money, and you pick up food. Or you slide a card, and then you take food out of the store. If you try to take food out of the store without redeeming something, they will arrest you. There is a price if you want that, life, that, that food, you have to lay down a price. Jesus says, I will lay down the price so you can pick up your life. I'll lay down and die so that you can live. It's, 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 it's redemption. It's a wage of death is paid in full. He laid it on the counter and said, I'll pay for that. It's provided by Christ Jesus. Now, why? Why would, why would anybody do that for for you, because I'll be honest with you, because when I go through the whole, you know, sins are worse than, than what I, I can go through a crowd and go, you're, you're worse than me, and I'm better than you, and I'm worse than you, and I, I can pick it out. So why, knowing who we are, why would God do that? Why would he lay down the life of his son? And it's the most famous verse in the whole Bible. You, you may not know where it is, but you have part of it memorized, I bet. It goes like this, because, or for God so loved the world, and the world is you, that he gave, he laid, redeemed his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, there's that belief, faith, you have some confidence in him. You don't have it all figured out, but he has some level that he is who he says he is, and he'll keep his promise. You, you won't perish. When your chain breaks, you won't fall, but you'll have eternal life. Eternal life is this, eternal, ongoing forgiveness, ongoing love, ongoing grace, ongoing connection. It cannot be broken again. See, see, this is how it works. See, God is perfect love, and my sin and your sin didn't cause him to stop loving us. Now, in our lives, people have done some to, some stuff to us, and we don't love him anymore. He's not like us. There are people in my life, well, they were in my life, they're not in my life anymore because I'm like, no, you can't be here. God has never said that about me, or you. God is perfect love, and my, my sin did not cause him to, to, to stop loving me. And get this, he loves me ahead of time, knowing I'll break the chain. Isn't that crazy? He, he, he did something. He said, listen, I know, this is what we've been studying over the last several weeks in here. I know that Jim is going to be born someday, and he's going to put his faith and trust in me, and he's going to screw up his life. So here's what I want to do. I want to set him in chain uh, a strategy that when he turns back to me, I'll be ready. Everything will be in place. And he won't ever have to be about, worry about being disconnected. That's what, that's what happened on the cross. He reconnected me. Now, so I, I've heard that all my life. I've been a Christian since I was eight. I mean, I've been in church since I was born. My mom was an organist. I was there, there too, all right? So, so I've been in church a lot. And I've heard all this stuff all, all my life. And it never really clicked for me. I mean, I knew Jesus died for me. I just don't know what that meant. I, 
Thank you. I, I, what, what did that accomplish? So here's what I want to do. I want to explain to you what happens on the cross. I'm going to explain to you for all you theologically minded people the doctrine of imputation. Wow, he's wise. I know. All right, so, all right. So let, let me tell you, in one verse, what happened, or two verses, what happened on the cross. Paul writes this to us. He says, I implore you, I'm begging you on behalf of Christ. So I'm speaking for Christ. I am begging you on, on, in, in, because I'm speaking for Christ here. Here's what Christ is begging you to do. Be reconnected to him. Don't live in disconnection with him anymore. You don't have to. Well, why? See, see for our sake and for your sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus, I might become the righteousness of God. Again, that's just religious speak. That's really, really confusing stuff. And so I'm gonna give you another object lesson, all right? And you're gonna understand what happened on the cross, maybe for the first time in a long, long, long time. So about 13 years ago, um, and the reason I know that is because I was trying to figure out if I was gonna move from Kentucky to Colorado. I made the right choice. So anyway, all right, but right before, as I was making that decision, I went on a mission trip to Ethiopia over in East Africa, right? And so we landed in Addis, and I got on this little bitty plane, and we flew out in the middle like, of nowhere. Like, there were goats all over the runway and stuff like that. We had to get, swoop down and get, get them off. And then, and then we landed, and then we, 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 we walked over to the missionary's house, come to find out he has malaria, all right? So he said, hey, Jim, listen, I'm really sick. I'm going to be in bed probably the whole time that you're here, I, but I need you to do some stuff for me. I'm like, okay. I just came around the world to help you out. All right, so, all right, so, so he said, so uh, like a couple of days from now, there are about 65 pastors from all over this part of Ethiopia. Some are going to walk two or three days. They're going to come here to, to the church building down there, and uh, I was supposed to lead a, a seminar on doctrine and theology. I'm sick. I need you to do it. I'm like, ah, ah. Should have studied. All right, that's all, I'm, that's all I'm saying, all right? And so, uh, so and here it gets worse or, or better. I don't know. So he said, so there's like, you know, there'd be like five different tribes there. They all speak different languages. So you'll have five different interpreters. Now, time out here. Some of you know me. I mean, I make jokes about being ADD, but I really am. Like, so can you imagine, like, I'm going to say a phrase and then wait for five people to translate it and then try to remember where I was? Because somewhere between Jesus said this... Some shiny's gonna go by and go, ha, whatever that is, all right? <laughs> and so I'm like, this is not gonna go well. So I just load it up and here we go, all right? So, so that's the first thing. The other thing he told me was this none of them know how to read. So if you tell them in the Bi- it's in the Bible, they're, they're gonna believe you. Now it gets, it gets worse, all right? So after the seminar is over, these 65 pastors are gonna walk back to their villages, which are about 10,000 people, and here's what they're gonna say. So the handsome bald guy told me that Jesus said, and you know what? They're gonna believe him. Because he believed me. So that's some pressure. I've read the last couple of chapters of the Bible. If I get this wrong, there's like millstones and plagues and stuff coming my direction. So I'm like, okay, okay, Adrian, I, I, I can do this. And so, so the first, first time up, I'm like, I, I have to teach the doctrine of imputation to people who don't speak English and don't look like me, eat like me. You know, okay. Then I had an idea. Ta-da, watch out, right? So, so here, here's what I did. So, so I, I called two, two men to come up uh, out of the audience. I didn't know them at all. And I got these white sheets, all right? And I put them over them, okay? And so here, here was the illustration. I said, so you, some of you know these men. So this, this is Jesse, all right? And he's gonna represent all of us. And then this is Rich, and Rich is gonna represent Jesus, okay? So then I, I should have thought this through. It falls apart fast, okay? So I said, so, um, so um, give me some sins that that Jesse has committed. Now, in America, you would assume I meant hypothetically. 
that concept doesn't really exist in Ethiopia. And some of these people knew Jesse and they had some things to say. All right, so, so I'm going, so give me some sense. And somebody says, he's a liar. Well, that translated well. Okay, so, so Jesse apparently is a liar. Then somebody else goes, he owes me money. He stole some sheep from me and he owes me money. I went, that's really specific. It's gonna get violent. Okay, and then, all right, it gets worse. Then there's this voice in the back of the room that goes, he slept with my sister. I'm like, oh, Jesse, you're gonna die. That man has a spear. And I said, we, we should probably stop now because they have arrows. All right, so, all right, so, all right. So I'm going, so here's the doctrine of imputation, okay? So God, because he loves us so much, made Jesus who had no sin, never, not one. He never broke a link. He made Jesus who had no sin become Jesse's sin. And he took Jesse's sin and he put it on his son Jesus. And then he took all the goodness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, and he put it on Jesse. He switched accounts. And then, because the wage of sin is death, on a Friday, we call it good, because the wage of sin is death, he allowed his son to be crucified. And, and Jesus died. And with Jesus, all of Jesse's sin, all of your sin, all of my sin, died with him. And then on the third day, God raised his son from the dead, but he did not raise death. He did not raise condemnation. He didn't raise my sin. My sin is buried and gone. And now, whenever God looks at Jesse, he doesn't see that. He sees all the goodness about his son. And when Jesse, and let me just say, it's not an if, but when Jesse screws up again, it's covered with the righteousness of God, and all God sees is his son. That's all he sees. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God going, Jesse is with me, let him in. And no matter what Jesse does from this point on, sin's not coming back. There is that, therefore now no condemnation for those who are covered with Christ Jesus. And so I'm, I'm in this chapel with all these people and then I, I just wait, did you get it? And in the back of the room I heard this, oh. And it's, I asked the translator, what it meant, here's what it means in English. Oh, doesn't that make sense? The moment you put your faith and your confidence in Jesus, your sins, I, I told God to get out of my life. I did my best and I fell short. I rebelled against God, whatever that is. Your sins, past, the ones you're struggling in right now, and you can't stop doing, even if you put your faith in Jesus today, and the ones you will commit next week, they are gone and condemnation is not coming back. Now that is a crazy promise. That's a, let's be honest, that's pretty outrageous. And the only reason I know it's true is because Jesus promised. And the only reason I believe Jesus is because he backed it up by saying, listen, nail me to a cross and on the third day I'll rise from the dead. Then you'll believe me. Now I don't have deep theology. You stick around here a while, you'll finally whisper to the person next to you going, he really doesn't. He's a pretty shallow person. I know. Here's my theology. Ready? Right? If you get nailed to a cross and die, and then three days later raised from the dead, like you told me you would do last week, I'll believe anything you say. I'll call you God. I'll worship you. I'll start a church in your name. Because if, if you can keep that kind of promise, why would I doubt you can keep every other promise that you ever made to me? Does that make sense? Now, again, most of us heard some version of that, and, you know, if we've been to Easter or Christmas or something like that, and I, I look around the room, and I'm sure it's happened at the campuses, we're all nodding our heads and going, that's just great, praise the Lord. But here's what we're thinking inside. Wouldn't that be awesome 
Cross your fingers. I hope it's true. See, again, I've been a Christian all my life, right? Since I was baptized when I was eight. I turned 56 this week, okay? Listen, here's what. I, I think I can say this with authority. I was going to say a lot of, I'm going to say most Christians. Here's what we're thinking right now. We hope that's true. We're not sure if it applies to us. And here's why, okay? Because we know us, and we know that there was a day in history that we, we told Jesus we love him, and we put our faith in him and stuff like that. But be, between that moment and today, we've done some crazy stuff. We've done some, some stuff that is, that is wrong. And so we look back and we go, you know, I'm not even sure if, I, if I'm saved now. I'm not even sure if I ever was saved. And even if I think probably I'm saved, when we think about actually standing before Jesus, none of us are looking forward to it because we're not sure how it will go. We hope, but we're not sure because we want that to be true, but we don't, don't have a lot of confidence in it. Some of us, you know, we're already convinced we're not, we're not saved. We actually believe we're beyond saving. You believe all that stuff that Jesus said about most of these people because they're probably, you know, decent people. But Jim, you don't know what I have done. My wife doesn't know. My husband, my kids, my parents, they have no idea what kind of person I really am. And I think I'm beyond saving. There's a lot of us in this room that think that, just so you know. Here's the other thing some of us are holding on to right now is we're sitting here going, this is stupid. I don't believe it. This is all crap. I don't believe any of this. I'm just here because she said she wouldn't date me or I lost a bet or whatever that is. And so you're here. But you know what? You'll never say this out loud, but inside there's that little voice. And you know what I'm talking about? Whispering, what if it is? And it keeps you up at night because what if it is? So, the question we've been asking over here for the last month is this. What happens to my faith when life falls apart? Here's what I want to do in our remaining minutes, all right? I want to ask this question. What happens to me when my faith falls apart? What happens to me? What happens to my life when I look back at God and go, you know what? I don't know if I trust you anymore. I, I, I don't even know if I like you anymore, let alone believe in you. And here's why I, I, I kind of came to this point. So back at Christmas, we did this series called Broken Halos where we looked at all the people, the Bible people in the Christmas story, and we have the tendency to read the Bible and go, they aren't like me. They were special superheroes, spiritual superheroes, like that. But what we did is we ripped the halos off and went, nope, normal people. Normal people. They got out of bed, they ate breakfast, they went to work, they went to school. They thought today would be a version of yesterday and tomorrow will be some version of today. And then life happened and marriage happened and trauma happened and someone got sick and someone got dead and, and God did something or we needed God to do something and he didn't do it. And so you looked at it and you had no idea how it was gonna turn out. And here's why I bring that in, the Christmas thing idea into Easter because um, this is the day that we set aside to remember that, that Christ was raised from the dead as evidence or proof that he is the son of God and can keep all of his, his promises. We have some level of confidence because we can open up a Bible and go, yeah, so I, I have some level of confidence that that event actually happened. But what if you were there? Like you have no idea how this story's gonna play out, right? Because you've never seen it before. Like on Thursday, you have dinner with Jesus and he talks about all these spiritual things. You go, oh, yeah, that's just great, Jesus. Then you go outside, he gets arrested. This isn't how I thought it was gonna go. 
God, I was going to follow you anywhere, and I, I, but I didn't see the, that, that happen. And, or how about this? Friday, all the disciples are looking up on a hill, and they see Jesus nailed to a cross. And finally, he breathes his last, and he's dead. He's got these nails in his hand. They take a spear and jab it into the sack around his heart to make, to make sure that he's dead. And then coagulated blood runs down his side. And then he's so poor, he can't even afford his own tomb. And so they, some guy named Joseph says, he can use my tomb, at least for a while, until you find another one. And they stick him in a borrowed tomb. Well, that's not how I thought the Savior of the world was going to do anything good. And you know what happened on Saturday? Nothing. I asked God, what's going on? God, can you explain this? God, I'm scared. You know what, you know what came from heaven? Nothing. Silence. See, if these are normal people, let me say, I don't, if they're anything like me, you got to think that they, they, they looked up there at dead, emaciated, beaten Jesus on a cross, stuck in a hole, and they had to think, because this is what I would have thought, I guess I bet on the wrong horse, right? Because I thought, I believed, I had confidence, Jesus, that you were going to take care of me, that you were, I, you said you were the son of God, you said you were God with flesh on, and I bought it. I actually believe you can make a difference in me. I believe you can save me. How is dead, emaciated, buried Jesus going to do anything in my life? I don't know what I believe anymore. So what happens to you and your faith and your life when your faith and your confidence just falls apart? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? I thought God would do this, and I asked God to do this, and he didn't do it. I begged God. I believed. I had confidence that Jesus would do and say and fix what I really needed. I begged him. I said, God, will you please change this? God, how many times do I have to ask you to heal her? Why won't you heal her? Why won't you fix this? Will you please change his heart and have him come, come home to me? Will you bring my children back to me? God, make a difference. You know what? You didn't do anything, God. That's how it feels right now. And I don't know if I like you. I don't know if I trust you anymore. Because either you didn't, couldn't, or wouldn't take care of me. Ever been there? Because listen, if, you, if you're not, give us some time. Do I keep holding on to something that's not working or do I just go shopping for something else? See, you're not alone. There was a day when this guy named Peter, he looked Jesus in the eye and goes, I'm in. I believe. I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you're the savior of the world. A few days later, he looks Jesus in the eye and says, listen, everybody in the world might de might, may desert you, may turn your back on you, may deny you. I'll die with you. I will never, ever, ever, I promise Jesus, I will never turn my back on you. And later that night, Jesus is getting beaten in a courtroom and Peter is outside hiding in some bushes and three people come up and go, aren't you his friend? Aren't you with him? And every time he goes, I don't even know him. I don't have anything to do with Jesus. He, a little girl comes up and asks him. He cusses out a little girl and says, I don't know who Jesus is. You know what kind of faith that is? Broken faith. Faith that fell apart. And where are the rest of the disciples? In a locked room with the shades down, hoping it all goes away. Some of them we find out later, we'll look at this in a second, they're, they're sitting in that room hoping they can get their old jobs back because they left everything to follow him. And they were wrong. You know what you call that? Falling apart faith. And again, if it hasn't happened to you yet, just wait. You're going to do something or somebody else is going to do something or you don't know what happened. Life just is going to fall on top of you and you're going to feel like your only option is, I'm out, Jesus. I quit. I can't do this anymore. So what happens to you then? What happens to a person when you look back in Jesus and say, I don't, I don't know if I believe anymore? When you get to a point where you're so confused or so disappointed or so exhausted, you're not sure if you even have faith, right? See, there, there are times in your life when you don't need a lot of faith. 
There's some stuff that's no big deal. Life's going well and all that kind of stuff. And so you're thinking, you know, uh, okay, I prayed a prayer. Hey, Jesus, can you make my basketball team win the tournament? Oh, they lost. No big deal. I mean, you're mad, you lost some money or something like that. Oh, but sometimes the stakes get even higher. Hey, Jesus, there's a cop and I really love you and I promise I'll never do it again if you get me out of this ticket. And then you get busted. And it's no big deal. But that's not life, right? Because the, the, there are some things in life where it's not a ball game and it's not just a little bit of money here or there. It's like the stakes are high. Because now if you screw up, you know what? It's not just you. There's a person that connected themselves to you and they call you like husband or wife. Or, 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 or if you fall... You take them with you. And now it's not just a husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend. Now you got some kids. And if you screw this up, you're going to take everybody down. And if you lose your job, God, I need you to come through. My career is falling apart. And I need you to step in here. And I have faith. And you promised you would take care of me. And then it gets worse. Then you go to the doctor and you find out the person you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with has cancer. And now you don't even know if you get Christmas with them. You've been there? And you need Jesus to come through for you. You promised you would take care of me. And then you get this call at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend said, I know, you know, I know I told you I loved you, but I met somebody else, and I don't know if I want to be with you anymore. You find out, you go to your kid's bedroom, and they're just not there, and you go, Jesus, I need you to bring my kid back. I need something to hold on to. And you look at bitterness and anger, that's what you've had faith in and confidence in the past. Or how about despair? God, I need, I need you to take care of me. I need you to make a difference in my life. Who am I going to lean on? Because at this point in my life, God, if I get it wrong and you let me down, I'm done. And so you, you try to figure it out. And you go, Jesus, you promise. And so you try him. Jesus, will you take care of me? And you test him. And it works. And you lean a little bit more on Jesus. And it gets better and better. And you go, oh, Jesus. And then, wait. She changed her mind. Wait. He got sick again. Wait. Jesus, I'm tired. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And it feels, just feels like your faith just breaks. And then what do you do? What happens then? You know what got you? Grace. When your faith falls apart, grace catches you. So here's a question we all ask. Where does Jesus go when I leave him? Nowhere. He's right here. You left him. He didn't leave you. But I made a mistake. There was a time in my life where, you know what? I promised him. I promised I would never do that again, and I did it. I promised him I would always do this, and I didn't do it. I was faithless. I know. Me too. Which is why we need grace so bad. See, look at this. Paul writes this. He goes, if. And the only time I'd ever change this verse, I would change if to when. Because it's a matter of time. When we are faithless, Jesus remains faithful. You know why? He, he can't deny himself. He can't lie to us. And he promises, I I'll give you grace and I'll forgive you. And Jesus' promise to you is not based on your ability to keep up your end of the deal. Have you ever kept your promise to Jesus? Because I haven't. I've made him some big, bold promises, haven't you? Jesus, if you'll save me, if you'll forgive me, and if you'll do this in my life, whatever that is, I promise I'll never do this and I'll never do this and I'll always do this and I'll get better at this. And you know what? I haven't kept up my end of the deal hardly at all. But listen, Jesus' promise to me is not based on me. Jesus' promise to me is based on his goodness. And my sin is not bigger than his goodness. And whatever you can come up with to screw up your life and screw up your marriage and screw up your family and screw up the most important parts of your life, it's not bigger than God's goodness. See, here, we've been studying, studying this, is that God knows every day of your life before you even do it, which means he chose to save you knowing you would do this thing you're thinking about. And he saved you anyway. He saved you anyway. 
He knew that down the road, you just proved his point. Boy, you're gonna need grace next year. Boy, you're gonna need me in that next marriage. When, you, when, you fall, when the wheels fall off the wagon and you're back there in a pit, addicted again, boy, girl, you're gonna need me. So put your faith in me now because next year it's gonna get rough and I'll be there. I'm not going anywhere. So after Jesus rose from the dead, the, probably the, the first people he talked to were these women and said, and he's alive. And then they ran back to that locked house where the, the guys were in there like hiding and all scared. He said, hey, Jesus rose from the dead. And they looked back and went, you're foolish women. We don't believe you. It's a fable. Didn't happen. <laughs> and then three verses later, Jesus is standing there. Awkward, right? And you know what it says? It says that Jesus rebuked them. And I always thought that it was just like he looked at them and went, Okay, all right, whatever that is, all right? But I actually looked it up, and it, the, it doesn't say rebuked in the original. It says he upbraided them. And I didn't know what that meant, so I did a word study on upbraided. And you know what it means? It, he spoke strongly to them. I like that, all right? He spoke strongly to them. He's not mean, he's not hateful, he, he's, he's not even angry, but he doesn't put on the Mr. Rogers sweater and go, hey, boys, hey, I saw what you did. And listen, it was scary. We were all scared. We'd never seen it before. And by the way, the nails, they did, they hardly, I hardly felt them. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say, ollie, ollie, oxen free. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. No, he said, listen, I'm gonna call it out. You quit on me. You ran. You denied me. You know what? I knew you would. I told you you would do it. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't threaten them with unsaving them. Not once. He doesn't hint at the possibility that, well, I guess I was wrong about you all. I guess I'm the one that bet on the wrong horses and I'm out. He, he doesn't ignore what they did wrong, but he doesn't even hint at the possibility that what they did wrong over the last three days was bigger than what he did on a cross one time. Doesn't even hint at it. See, Peter, that's what Peter thought. Peter thought Jesus would actually stop loving him based on his failure. Peter actually left, quit, I'm out, and he went back to fishing probably thinking the whole time, I told him. I told him the day I met him in that boat, go away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man and nobody can fix me. Save your time. And I guess I was right. Jesus finds him in a fishing boat, swims ashore and goes, hey, Peter, um, let's take a walk on the beach. This is the conversation that all of us are gonna have with Jesus one day that we're either looking forward to or we're scared to death of. And at this moment, I think Peter was scared to death. They're walking down there, and this Peter's going, this is where he's going to do it. This is where he's going to tell me, you know, I, I don't love you anymore. I was wrong about you. And as far as I'm concerned, just go to hell. I really think that's what he was thinking. That's what I'm thinking sometimes, right? Okay, time out. So this just sounds so weird. Jesus speaks to me on Highway 7 a lot. I don't know why. Between the come and go and the new King Super specifically, all right? I don't know why there, but every time I have this great idea, or like, whoa, God, all right? It's like, it's, I'm on that stretch of highway. And so the other day, I'm kind of rehearsing. I know, this is weird, but shut up. All right, so, um, so I'm driving. I'm on my way to Chick-fil-A because I love Jesus. And so I'm, anyway, so I'm going up the hill, and I have the song that we're going to play for communion just a minute on. And in the middle of it, I'm kind of rehearsing this talk in my head. And I get to this point in the talk where, um, where Jesus and Peter are taking a walk. And Jesus is about to open his mouth and say something to Peter. And, and I remember what Jesus said to Peter. He asked him a question. Remember what it was? Hey, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, why'd you do that? Don't you know better? I mean, that's what I expect. He just looks at Peter and goes, hey, Peter, do you, do you love me? And now I, it's no longer Peter. He's like, hey, Jim, do you love me? 
In this song that we're going to do for communion in a minute, it's, it's playing. So I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a really tender place. And I, and I say out loud in my truck, yeah, I do. I don't know why you love me. And then Jesus asks you again, Peter, Jim, do you love me? And now I've got tears going down my face. I'm, I'm almost King Super. So you get to Huron and it's over, God. So you got to tell me now, right? So, so I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I, I do. I love you. And i got tears going down my face. And I, I'm like, I'm going to Chick-fil-A. I'm going to freak that little girl out. My pleasure, whatever. And I'm like crying. And you're like, so and then the third time, Jesus goes, Peter, do you love me? And he looks back. And I'm, I'm driving. I almost have to pull off the road. And go, Jesus, I do. I love you. And Jesus said to me what he said to Peter. Well, I'm not done with you. And we have some stuff we're still going to do together. So you're going to take care of some people for me. I believe Jesus is asking you that. I think, believe Jesus is asking you that right now. Hey, you still love me? Because I am not done with you. Followed by, do you trust me? Because i got some stuff to do in your life. And I'm not, I'm not finished. One more story. I'm, I'm way over time. And I, I, I'm not even going to apologize anymore. It's just me. Uh, so every Wednesday, every Wednesday, I, I call my friend James down in Mexico City, and, and we just talk about what God's doing in our lives. And so this past Wednesday, I'm on FaceTime in my office, and I'm on FaceTime, and, and, and uh, James is just a super wise person. And I said, James, so some of this is going to be hypothetical, but so what do you do when you commit the same sin over and over and over and over and over after you've told Jesus over and over and over you won't do it again? When you have that conversation with Jesus, what does he say to you? And here's what James did. He went, hmm. And I got a screen of James just going, for an awkwardly long time. And I'm thinking either the screen froze up or Jesus is just off camera and I can't hear him. And J James is going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'll tell him, uh-huh, uh-huh, all right. And both are possible, I'm just telling you, okay, all right. And so finally James goes, Jim, when I, when I have that conversation with Jesus, you know what he says to me? I'm like, what? We'll get there. And I'm like, that's it. I believe Jesus brought you in here. I believe the pur purpose of Easter is to give you another chance. He loves you. Do you love him? He, he has a plan for your life. Do you trust him? Because he's not done with you. And if you're not there yet, the only thing I have to say to you is you'll get there. This is going to take some time. We're, taking, we're gonna do communion right now, okay? Communion is not for God's benefit. It's like, eat this if you love me. Or, you know, it's not that at all. Jesus knew that there'd be days and weeks and seasons of our life where we go, I, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I think my, what I did is bigger than, than his grace. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice and remember what I did on a cross. And what I did is, is so good that you couldn't come up with something. And your sin didn't surprise me and it's already forgiven, do you love me? I do. Do you trust me? Good. We'll get there. So if this is your first time at Flatirons, if you believe that to be true, you're welcome to take communion with us. Let's pray. God, you're so good. You're better than anything we could do bad. You're more loving than anything we could do hateful. And God, we have a list of reasons why you shouldn't love us, but we're going to hang on to one promise. You do. And your grace is more than enough. And so we're going to eat bread and we're going to drink juice and we're going to sing this awesome song about how awesome and good you are. God, thank you for bringing every person into this room, into one of our campuses this week to find out that you don't hate them and you're not done with them. And through Jesus and amazing grace, you didn't go anywhere and you want us back. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.